good evening. It's good to be with you. I almost said morning, but I'm glad I didn't. Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in the book of Psalms, uh, specifically Psalm 127. Uh, and while you're flipping there, I just want to say it's an honor to worship with you tonight. I'm really thankful to be here with you. So listen, this is God's Word. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toll, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we come to you in awe that you would speak to us and give us your word because you love us and you want us to know you and to know your Son, the Lord Jesus. I ask that as we look at it today, um, as we come here tired um, from wrestling kids in a van or from a long day, would you give us endurance to hear your word? Would you be kind to us in that? And would you use this time to show us your son and would we see the Lord Jesus as more beautiful and lovely and believable in this time? Let me pray this in his name. Amen. So I'm the kind of guy who has had a lot of really kind of weird, odd jobs in my day. Um, But it all started when I was 16, and I worked at an auction house that my dad's cousin ran. And when we talk about an auction house, like, we might think, like, people are selling Bentleys or, like, high-dollar jewelry. But this is more kind of like a redneck hangout where people would just kind of spend Friday night and we sold junk. Like, the kind of stuff that Goodwill probably wouldn't even give us, junk. But so I was 16, I had a car. I needed gas money, and I got this job offer, and I said, sweet, like, let's do this. So not only was I just kind of excited to have some kind of employment, but I really thought, like, this auction business, maybe this is it for me. Maybe this will be the thing that I can kind of throw my life into. And I walked in that first day of this auction just really imagining that I could go in and work my way up the auction ladder. Um, But as you can imagine, as I'm here right now and this isn't an auction, that didn't work out. Because I showed up and realized, man, this job is not fun, and I didn't like it. And within a few months, I found something better, and I did it. And I think in some ways, if we're all honest, all of us that have had any kind of work, that this is exactly kind of the thing we face, that we show up to a job, we have opportunities, and we're excited about it, and then we really quickly just become disillusioned with what's happening. Like, we get, we get frustrated because we feel underappreciated or we feel like we're underpaid. We go from being excited about work to hating the fact just deep within us that we have to work at all. And this is because you and I have a complicated relationship with work because we feel like we either can't get enough of it, we're workaholics, we want to work, 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 or we're kind of on the other side. We think, I don't want to work, and the only reason I work, whether it's in the home or out of the home, is just because I have to, because there's a need, someone has to meet it, and it might as well be me. And part of this is because we're trying to get something out of work, and that's why it's complicated. We want it to provide, but more than that, we're trying to find work that gives us meaning, 
that we feel fulfilled in. And this is because we've been created to work. Because we have been created in the image of God. This is God who works, who created the world and all things in it. And that work existed before sin, if you think about it. That Adam and Eve were called to work in the garden. In glory, we will continue to work. But because of the fall, because the sin in our hearts, we take work, which is something that's inherently good, and we either make it ultimate or we make it completely insignificant. But there's good news for us. Regardless of our relationship with work, there's good news. It's that God is working, and he has invited us to work alongside him. So in this passage, we're going to see this really kind of, we're going to see three different things to help us kind of parse this out and help us understand it. We're going to see God's warning about our work. We're going to see the example of God's work. And then we're going to look at the spiritual reality of work itself. So let's look at God's warning. Uh, Look at verse 1 with me. The psalmist writes, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Here's the warning. If God isn't behind your work, your labor is in vain. But notice how it's said that it's unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city, And there's this layer in that that we kind of need to unpack because there are builders building this house, right? But it's God who builds it. There's a guy, the watchman, and he's staying up late watching over the city. But the psalmist says it's God ultimately who watches over the city. This is because God works, and that's significant in this warning. He's the one who builds the house. He's the one who watches over the city. But you probably ask, if God does these things, Why are builders involved? Why is there a watchman watching over the city? It's because God calls us to work and to work alongside of him. It's God who starts the work. It's God who sustains it and completes it, but he invites us to join in on it. The Bible begins with the story of God's work, that he created the earth. He created all things in it. And the scriptures really are a story of God working redemption through his son, the Lord Jesus. And in this work that God does, we see that he uses people like us in it. Like he uses Adam and Eve to fill the earth and to do it, to name the animals. That's Adam's job. He uses the disciples to go and spread the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And because God works, he makes our work meaningful. When he's involved in our work, we don't labor in vain. Our work, though, it has to be oriented to him. We have to look to God who created all things, and we have to work for his glory. And when we do that, when we work for God and not for ourselves, we take the focus off of ourselves, and our work becomes meaningful when we do that. It's meaningful because work then becomes something that we don't use just to feed our ego, or we don't use it as something that, it's not something that we use just for our own comfort, but when God is involved, he blesses it. And we don't have to look to our own efforts to provide, but instead we can trust that God is the one who's providing for us. And God also rewards our work. Look at verse 2 with me. It reads, For he gives to his beloved sleep. God doesn't ask us to labor endlessly with no benefit, but he blesses our work for him and he gives us rest 
that after our work is done, we can rest leaving the outcome to God because he's the one building the house. He's the one watching over the city. We can rest assured he's in control and he's doing this work. I have a friend of mine who has a couple kids and he has a four-year-old who's obsessed with yard work. And it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like if he's cutting the grass, his son's like 20 feet behind him with that little plastic mower making a pass in the grass too. And so whenever my friend's like in the yard cutting grass, shoveling mulch, pulling weeds, his son is out there, you know, trying to help. He's really just kind of making a mess. Um, But one day this friend, he was at one of the many, um, I think it's, I can't remember what it was, but it was a hardware store in Charlotte. And they had tools that were like actual wood, actual metal, but really small, you know, like for the size of a four-year-old. So he surprised his son with it. So every time my friend would go shovel mulch, he, his son would look out the window, see it happening, and grab his little shovel and go try to help his dad out. And as you can imagine, like, this little four-year-old wasn't really doing much damage to a pile of mulch. But his dad let him help, he encouraged him, and when he got tired, as a four-year-old will do, he'd send him in to go get a juice box and to rest. And this, when we see this, we also have to remember, my friend is the one completing the job. He's done all the work. The four-year-old, if anything, kind of made the job a little bit harder. But this is what our work is like to God. He's building the house. He's watching over the city. And he invites us to labor alongside of him. And when our faithful work is done, he gives us rest while he continues on. So if God warns us not to labor in vain, we have to rethink how we work. We need to rethink how we think about work. We have to ask ourselves if God is present in our work. Let's think about it like this. Is success your drive to work? Are you striving for that upper-level management job? And are you trying to prove that all those years in college and grad school are finally worth it? You're like, if I can get CFO behind my name in my email signature, that's going to give me what I need. Is that why you work? Are you trying to prove your worth? Do you think that you have to feel like a worthy mom to stay home with your kids and you think people will look at me and respect me and I'll feel good enough if I do this? Or maybe do you feel like you have to put in long hours at the office to prove that you have worth and that you provide? Is it comfort? Is comfort what drives your work? Do you think if you get the right job, you put in the hard work, that you'll have everything you ever want? Is that what drives you? All of us are in different places with work. Some of us are busy with work. Some of us might be out of work and desperately, you know, just wanting a job. But regardless of where we're at, we need to consider these things. We need to ask, how am I laboring in vain? And we need to stop and consider those ways we are laboring in vain. And brothers and sisters, we fail at this constantly. But there's good news that God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, who in all the work he did, never centered it on himself. And he did this so he could pay the price for our prideful work on the cross. And this psalmist begins with a, this psalmist begins with a warning. And in some ways, when we think of warnings, we think that it's a negative thing, that it has kind of a minor key tone to it. But we're not left there, that this negative in some ways gets a counterweight with a positive Because not only does God give us a warning about our work, but he gives us an example of his work 
But it might seem unusual because it's children. That's the example of God's work. Look at verse 3. It says, Behold, children are a heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Children are our example. And I know what you might be thinking, Bailey, like we're talking about work here, and my kids don't work. Like they barely clean their room, let alone like go out to the office and kind of bring in income for the family. And to you, I say, that's the whole point. That's what this looks like. Because when it comes to children and raising children, it requires a lot of energy. That kids constantly need something, and their needs change as they grow, right? So you've got a baby, you're feeding the baby, you're changing the baby. Baby grows up and goes to school, and all of a sudden, you're doing math homework with your kids. And next thing you know, they've grown up, and you're adding them to your auto insurance policy. And you, you're like, how did this happen? And the thing that like, we see with this is that this cycle of kids needing things never ends but parents have to constantly continue. They have to adapt to this. But because parents are the ones who are feeding their kids and providing for them, it doesn't mean that they are the ones who grow children. Because it's God who does that. It's God who blesses the work and invites parents into that labor. And in that, God is the one who accomplishes the work. But because God does this work, it's slow. Think of Abraham. In Genesis, he's promised to have a big family, that God says that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore, and that he would be a father of many nations. But Abraham and his wife Sarah have one son when they were both really old, and that son, Isaac, only had two sons. But as we go through Genesis, we see that this grows and grows and grows into a great nation. And God kept his promise But when Abraham thinks, I'm going to have many descendants, and he has one, he might feel like this is really slow. And it was slow, but God still kept his promise. The growth of children is the same, that it happens over years, and they they just need your attention. But look at verses 4 and 5 with me. It says that like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. God blesses those who raise children in the same way that he rewards work. That the slow work God does is a blessing to us in the same way that children are a blessing to their parents. So recently I was, I guess it was this past spring, I love to fish. And I was fishing with this guy I go to church with. And we were like three hours away and it was dark when we were coming home. And I was asking him about his kids. And I think he just had kid number four, and he's pro- his oldest is probably 10 at this point. And I was learning about his kids, and he was just beaming, just like a proud dad, talking about how his kids have been learning how to play guitar, and they've been reading books on their own, and they're you know, going out and playing with the neighbors on their own. And just as he's smiling and just kind of glowing with pride, he says, you know, it's awesome to see this. Because you get to a point where you think they can't do anything on their own, and they'll never be able to do anything on their own. And this is exactly what the slow growth looks like. My friend and his wife are faithful parents. They've spent years raising their kids, and they've got a lot more child-rearing to do. But they felt like their labor was slow-moving. But it was God who caused their children to grow. And he's the one that's causing them to grow, and they have been able to see that firsthand. The children 
as we've said, like, help us understand how God works. And we need to embrace this slow pace, particularly as we look how he works in our lives. We have to remember that we are called to be childlike. So how often do you look at a particular struggle that you have, and you feel shame because you feel like you haven't changed enough? You feel like, I've been struggling with anger, let's say, for 10 years, and it's never going away. And you feel like you see people all around you overcoming sin, and you wonder, is God even working in my life? Well, if that's you, there's good news. It's that God works slowly. Like, if you have kids, you probably look at pictures of them when they were babies or when they were younger, and you say, look how little they were and look how big they are now. That's the posture we need to take with ourselves. God makes us grow, but we often don't realize it. So let's marvel at how God has caused us to grow through the grace of his son. Ask yourself this. Are you as angry now as you were five years ago? Are you as vain as you were in college? Are you more kind today than you used to be? With anything you struggle with, you can fill in the blank. And if the answer is yes, that's proof and that's evidence that God is working, even though it's slow. But just because it's slow doesn't mean he's not working, because we're God's children. We're slowly growing in the grace of Jesus. And we have to look at children and really look at them and their growth to understand what this looks like. So far, we've seen how we're supposed to work. We see how children show us how God works. But there's one more piece of the puzzle here. It's the spiritual reality of work. Psalm 127 is a psalm of ascent. And this is a song that the Israelites would sing on their journey to Jerusalem for various feasts throughout the year. And they would sing these, including Psalm 127, as an encouragement um, and for their edification to say, we're kind of hiking uphill to Jerusalem. And when we see this in the same vein, as Christians, we're also traveling to God's city. And we will go there and we will feast with our Savior forever. And so far, we've talked about homes, we've talked about cities, we've talked about children. And we've taken this literally, and I think that we ought to do that. But there's also this spiritual reality and it connects to this spiritual journey that we're on. Because this house that God is building is his spiritual temple. It isn't made with earthly materials. First Peter 2.5 says, As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That we as Christians are these living stones that God is using to build up into his house. This city that God watches over isn't just Jerusalem. It's more than that. It's the heavenly city. Hebrews 11 describes this as the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. This is a place where God dwells and his people will dwell with him. It's the place where God's family will be together forever. And this family of God, it isn't just a physical family, but it's the spiritual family of all who have been adopted as sons and daughters. This is the family of all who place their faith in Christ. And like many of our earthly families, this is a family that, as we speak, God is continuing to grow. 
And this spiritual dimension of work itself is also something I don't want us to miss. That all work, whether it's our work or the work God does, has a spiritual reality to it. And our work is just not simply impacting us on earth. It's not simply just providing us a paycheck. But it's wrapped up in the fact that it has a spiritual significance. And here's the significance. It's that God uses our work to make us like Christ. That our God-honoring work is necessary for our sanctification. As we work, no matter where, no matter what your vocation is, God uses it to make us like Christ. And the gospel transforms our relationship with work redeeming it to be something that we do because of its inherent dignity and because he's calling us and inviting us into it. Our work has a spiritual reality, and so we need to work as if that's true. This means that, one, a job is just not a means to an end. That if you kind of have this utilitarian view that you say, I need to work, and so I work, but if I didn't have to, I wouldn't, that's wrong. In, in some way, you're missing the spiritual significance when you take that view. And the spiritual nature of work also gives us freedom in a couple different areas. It gives us freedom to love our jobs. It enables us to see that work is a task given to us by God, and we can go and do that and enjoy it. And we also have freedom to not take work too seriously. If we know that work is a way of which God changes us and makes us more like his son— We need to be willing to see when we are tied to it in an unhealthy way and repent of that. And when we do that, we cannot take ourselves so seriously and not put our worth in our work. So one thing I think we often forget, and we'll land the plane on this, is that up until Jesus began his ministry, he worked as a carpenter. Think about that with me. That Jesus, the Son of God, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, worked really just an ordinary job. And when he came to earth and he lived a perfect life, that included working well. And that's working in a way that sought to glorify God, and it didn't make work ultimate, and it wasn't insignificant to Jesus either. So when we place our faith in him, our old sinful patterns found in work lose their appeal because we know that we're loved by God, and we know that our worth is found in him that our worth isn't in what we do. It isn't in our work. Maybe you're here today, um, and just kind of everything we've talked about has made you realize that if there's one thing that characterizes your relationship with work, whether at home or in the office, is sin. There's good news for you that you can turn to Christ who offers you free forgiveness for your sins. And he's the one who can transform your relationship with work. But like all of us, I think we all kind of have some work to do in this area. I know I do. But there's good news. is that in Christ, your sins are forgiven. He has redeemed us to be a people who work for his glory and for his kingdom. So let's go in light of that truth and work for God's glory. Would you pray with me? God, you're good, and we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful that you have You've worked. You've worked in creation. You've worked in redemption. And we're thankful that you've called us to people to be, to be in that, to get in to that and get down with it. Would you be with us today as we consider your word, as we worship you? Would you transform our hearts and make us work for your glory? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.